welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again today. We are excited that we have some new listeners these days, and we hope you'll go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. And we usually start off with Katie telling us what's going on on the farm. So what's happening? Um, it's still February. It's been February forever, and it is still February, but the kids are in school and Jim is at work, I assume. I mean, he's not here, so I'm going to guess that's where he is, and the house is quiet. And other than having a whole bunch of calves that don't respect any fences, and, you know, we, we weaned calves and the weaned calves are staying in, but now there are calves that aren't supposed to be weaned that have gone and gotten in with the calves that are weaned and then they can't get back and whatever. Lambing should start in about two weeks, I think. It seemed further away until I just thought about what day it actually is. And how many sheep are we talking about here? Remind uh, me. Forty. You had. You had a handful that already had. Okay, yeah. So we have 40. two that already landed. How many? So we've got about thirty-five got to forty left, which is right. knock on wood, more or less eighty lambs. And then, mm-hmm. so we usually lamb all the way through, you know, slow at the beginning of March and then pretty hot and heavy for a couple of weeks, and then slow coming into April, and then hopefully we're <laughs> knock on wood done with lambing before before field work season starts and before calving starts and all of that and well, mostly just february we're just plugging along how have things been at your farm arlene well i don't think there's too much farm news really just the usual winter routine of trying to keep everything from freezing up or flooding today we had a big amount of rain which is weird for this time of year but don't worry it's going to turn it into snow and we're going to get a blizzard tomorrow so today it melted a whole bunch of snow and then we're going to get it all back tonight so that'll be fun kid wise everyone has mostly gone to school for the past week so that's exciting yeah it feels like it's been kind of quiet which i you know i'm going to jinx it but that's just the way it is for now. Katie and I mentioned last week that we were part of a panel for a women's food and ag network event. So if you are a keener and you download this episode the day it's released, you'll have a little bit of time to get in on this event if you want. So it's part of the WFAN Growing Community Resilience Series. So they have a monthly time for people to engage and talk to each other and so there's a time for panel discussion and then there's also going to be time for for smaller smaller groups so the session that we're actually part of i'm looking it up right now is called parenting and farming in the time of covid community support so that kind of uh, sounds like what we've been living through the last couple years so you can come and listen to us and also Paige, who is a former guest on the the episode is going to be there as well and a couple other panelists so we're looking forward to it 
get to chat with some people and talk about work parent life balance or lack of balance or <laughs> whatever happens to come out of the discussion. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun chat, Arlene. Sorry, folks, I was uh, eating my lunch while Arlene was talking, so I didn't was not prepared to jump back in. Um, sure, I, I, I breaks before you are ready. We need also a hand want to mention for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm also going to mention that the episode that is playing today we recorded before, like it was in December. So if there's any mention of the holidays or Christmas, that's why we were actually on the ball. We recorded a bunch of interviews in December. And so now we're actually putting some of them on the air. So hopefully our guests don't think we forgot about them or that we dropped their episode completely. They're coming. Today is one of them. We promise we still have them. We just haven't gotten there yet. Story of our lives, really. Oh. That was very good of us, though, to get that many episodes recorded in advance. It just means that some of the stuff is not as, not as uh, current anymore. That was basically all Arlene, but it was a lot of interviews in like three weeks. <laughs> it was a lot of talking to folks, but it was fun. You it know, worked out well, we though, because January was, yeah, January was a bit of a disaster in terms of trying to fit anything in. So it's all worked out for the best. Yeah, it's much easier not to have kids home while we're doing this. It's, you know? Um, yeah, I don't have any other updates. Anyway, welcome back to Barnyard Language. Today we're catching up with Janice Marquardt and Lindsay, is it Hodnafield? It is. Hodnafield, who are both mechanical engineers. Lindsay is a project engineer at Agco, and Janice is the VP of Supply Chain at MidAmerican Energy. So Janice and Lindsay, we start all of our interviews with the same question because it covers a lot of different areas like crops, livestock, kids, as well as businesses and careers. So we're going to ask each of you, what are you growing? So Lindsay, do you want to go first? What are you growing? Sure. I am growing two children. One is three and a half. And how dare you call her just three. And the other is six, almost seven. He'll be seven in early January. My husband grows corn and soybeans. So we live on the family farm. And then I'm also growing a career outside the home. So I have, I'm a project engineer at ACO and have been design engineer previously. So working on growing that. So Lindsay, what does the project engineer do? That's a very good question. Okay. Well, I feel better <laughs> no. that I had no idea what it was. Okay. Sounds important. Oh, yeah. We mainly talk, can organize the engineering group for a project, obviously. And we put together like the deliverables that we, the engineering needs to provide to the other business groups. We also coordinate meetings and talk through with the engineers when they have an engineering issue that they just can't get around. We do that portion of the engineering too. Sometimes we kind of do a lot of various things. We work with purchasing and with manufacturing and with the other groups that engineering has to interface with and are kind of the go-between for that. Okay. I work with a bunch of software engineers and I have no idea what any of them do either. It's, just, yes. so it it's magic. The ones, they go, they do yep. stuff. I don't know. I, We're the ones that talk between and put it into normal language for everyone else. That. <laughs> Translators. Yeah. 
Janice, well, let's see. On my farm, I am growing two children, a, a pre-teenager who refers to herself as a pre-teenager and would prefer to be a teenager, and and an eight-year-old, as Katie calls it, boy child. And he's my quiet one, my rule follower, even though he's the younger one. And then my older one is the one who's like a noise and everywhere and very high energy. So they're kind of backwards as far as the birth order goes. And then we, I also have pets. Of course, I have uh, three cats and a great Pyrenees dog uh, who is a working dog. She guards the farm and she takes that job very seriously. And then we have chicken, turkey, beef, and eggs that we raise. We're not organic, but we raise using sustainable practices. Everybody gets sunshine, you know, fresh air, that kind of thing. And so we raise, we have about 35 cows, uh, Belted Galloway, if anybody is a cow breed nerd, which on this podcast, I think a few will be. Chickens of about 30 of them for laying hens of whatever variety my husband decided to pick up, <laughs> whatever season it was. And then, yeah, and then turkeys, we raise more modern varieties and, and same with chickens, broiler chickens. So that's kind of what our farm does. My husband is a fifth generation on his farm. So we're also on a family farm, similar to Lindsay. And neither of us grew up on a farm. So we both were new to farming in 2007 was our first season where we actually rented a different farm. So there's a whole farm saga there, which actually, Katie, you should have my husband on and he can tell you the farm saga there. <laughs> so he can tell you the whole succession planning issue. So yeah, yeah, that would, that would be a good one there. So, and then I am growing my career as well. Obviously being a VP is quite a bit of career growing. <laughs> so that's really honestly what I primarily grow is that career because I provide the income for our family. Our farm does not provide family income in order to do things like pay the mortgage. So for our listeners, Janice gave us a glimpse at her calendar and um, <laughs> if you thought you were busy, I'm sure Janice could send you a redacted version of it looks like she probably just fills all 24 hours and then starts deleting a few boxes rather than inputting stuff. So that's it's impressive. Seriously. Well, those, those are my meeting invites that I mark tentative. I'm like, mm, I might show up to this one. <laughs> I might not. Good. Leave them guessing. <laughs> yeah. So I know Janice we went to high school together in like, mm -hmm. you know, full disclosure. Can you both tell us a little bit about yourselves and where you're grew up, where you are now, whatever background yeah. we might need to I'll start fully Katie kinda... appreciate how you got here. Yeah, I'll start because Katie kind of led into me. So yeah, Katie and I went to high school together. I grew up in Ames, Iowa. That's also where I met my husband. He also went to high school with us. So we grew up in Ames, Iowa together. And I definitely was a city kid. You know, my parents worked at the university. We, I, there's no farm anywhere in my family. And then my husband grew up also in Ames and also not on a farm because uh, his father would have gone back to the farm in 1980. And those who are familiar with farming in the U.S., that was during the farm crisis. So there was no farm work to be had. And so he instead got a job in town and just never went back to the farm. So it kind of skipped a generation. And so we moved to the country. We actually bought a farm that was not the family farm first. I proceeded to ditch my car three times in the first year and a half, mostly in snow and ice. I had to learn how to live in the country. That's a learning curve, by the way, for those who don't grow up learning, 
living in the country, there's a learning curve to learning. You know, you can't just pop to the store for butter when you're out of butter. So you have to plan for the fact that you're going to need butter or sugar. And your neighbor is also half a mile away. So you probably can't knock on the neighbor's door for a cup of sugar either. But those old stories where they do make a lot more sense when you live in the country. (laughs) So we uh, that was actually a large part of the motivation behind starting this podcast was how many people in parenting groups were like, well, just get, you know, just get your food delivered. Just yeah, get right. Grubhub to, and I'm just, like, that's, yeah, that's not No, Grubhub thing. doesn't come here, nor does Pizza Hut, nor does Domino's. Like, they will not deliver to your farm at all. Yeah. You can't get a maid service in a lot of, like, I can't get a maid service, even though I'm only 20 minutes outside of a major city. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. We finally, oh. uh, we have a food delivery service. I think they may have actually mm-hmm. gone back out of business pretty rapidly. Oh, no. But it was, we're 17 miles from Decorah, and it was going to be mm-hmm. $60 and change just for the delivery fee. Right. And I was like, well, right. that's no food. I'm sure I'll, I'll get right on having <laughs> yeah. all our food delivered. Yeah. yeah. You know, if by delivered you mean winged through the Casey's parking lot and grabbed a pizza, then yes. You know. Although HelloFresh delivers to our farm. Well, that's so because they ship that UPS. Yeah. I'm, I'm a lover of HelloFresh. <laughs> I'm a lover of anything that comes via UPS. FedEx is another matter, but maybe uh, we should get yeah. somebody from FedEx on here. That'd be a real <laughs> hot take. So, <laughs> Lindsay, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I grew up near the Twin Cities, Minnesota, just in the suburb outside the Twin Cities. I also did not grow up on a farm, was a city kid, kind of. My grandparents farmed and my I have aunts and uncles that farm, so I was somewhat familiar with it. I went to college in Fargo, North Dakota, Go Bison, NDSU, and met my husband there at school. He actually went to school for engineering also. So we met in an engineering class. After college, we moved to the Quad Cities. So Moline, Davenport, Bettendorf, Rock Island. And I worked for John Deere for about five years down there doing test engineering for combines and really, really enjoyed it. My husband's family has farmed for a long time. We've just got century farm status two years ago, I think. So he knew, he always knew he wanted to come back to the farm eventually. So after we had been in the Quad Cities, living about six hours away from here for about five years, we decided it was time to move home. And I got a job at Co., which happens to be in the next town over from where we live and started as a design engineer at Co. And, and we've been working the farm. My husband farms with his dad, still farms with him. And yeah, it's been a transition. We we also in between there bought and ran a golf course for a while because we didn't have enough going on. So that for a while we lived above the golf course clubhouse. And then we moved to the real country country and live on an old farmhouse now. So That seems like the type of job that a farmer would take on, right? What is something else that would consume all of the hours of the day? And (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, we don't have full-time summer. Like, I have a few hours in my day. Oh, I think a golf course would be a great idea. Let's take on something else that would consume more hours than I actually have to work. It absolutely was. I thought it kind of made sense because if people stopped showing up to golf, you could always just like throw some permanent out there and graze it, you know. 
well, see how many people's heads would explode if you did that. I, I'm not going to lie. We bought it thinking just from a land perspective, it was cheaper than farmland. You know? That's something about the the economy for of land, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So to start, what do mechanical engineers actually do? I know myself not being an engineer, when I think of STEM jobs like that, I picture some sort of like, you know, real genius-esque lasers, dry ice montage situation, which I'm hoping is accurate. But what do you guys actually, like, what does a mechanical engineer generally do besides take a lot of meetings? We, you know. we design like everything. I have friends that I went to school for mechanical engineering with that do power, electricity, anything that runs, anything that you can touch generally. Sometimes electricity you shouldn't touch, but <laughs> basically we can design or build or, or do a thought process for almost anything. So then what's the difference between a mechanical engineer and an electrical engineer? If mechanical engineers can also do electricity. Just which classes you take. One of the reasons I picked mechanical engineering to major in in school was actually that it made it so I didn't have to choose. <laughs> I didn't have to choose which kind of engineering I was going to do because mechanical engineering is like a little bit of a jack of all trades when it comes to engineering. So there are mechanical engineers doing everything. Well, as you know, I'll get into, but <laughs> I do everything. <laughs> so how much lasers and dry ice is there? Like, I'm hoping it's a high amount. When I was a design engineer, there was lots of lasers because there were laser cutters for the parts I would design. So I would design the part in the 3D, like, drawing application. And then um, the lasers would cut the, the steel. So there yeah. were lasers there. We didn't use dry ice at that particular employer. Were <laughs> you ever yeah. tempted to, like, bring your own in to, to maybe make a montage? or That would have been cool. No, I didn't even think about it. I clearly needed you there to tell me that this would be a to, cool thing to, to do. To make things more exciting. Yes, to I make mean, things I, more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I've ever used dry ice. I'm, I'm really regretting my life decisions right now. Well, in farming, we use dry ice all the time because I you have to transport say, the chickens yeah. back from the locker. So right. I use dry I'm ice far our, more in farming. I'm thinking of our semen tank. So, I mean, <laughs> we've got dry ice on the farm, right? Yeah. Say, yeah. I have a cricket cutter, so maybe I need to find some dry oh. ice and kind of, there it's like the, the mom version. <laughs> the steam to come out of yeah. the cricket. Yeah. <laughs> for, for any of our listeners who have not somehow have not seen real genius you're missing out it's really a classic it's worth hunting down apparently that was one of the first movies i watched in the theater and my dad is a redhead and i apparently in the very beginning of the, the movie in when i was three looked up at the screen and the bad guy for that movie came onto the screen and i looked at the i went daddy <laughs> so i pointed to the main bad guy of that movie and yeah <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that movie him. is like Val mm -hmm. Kilmer and a whole bunch of oh. people we never saw again, but it really is a no. classic. It's such a good movie. So good. All right. What you, led you to pursue a career in engineering or in STEM? And were you always interested in that? Or was it something that was later on in your in schooling? Or, or like, is that where you were started off at university? Or did you switch around? 
Yeah, so I, it was kind of funny how I came into STEM because I was one of these kids that uh, was expected to go into STEM my whole life, which is unusual for girls, actually, which is really sad. <laughs> I was very involved in Society of Women Engineers, partly because of this, because I, I didn't like the fact that I was unique in this. But because my parents got divorced and remarried when I was nine, they got divorced when I was nine and then remarried, both of them are technical people and married technical people. So between my parents, I have, between my four parents, I have three engineering degrees and three PhDs. So um, not in the same configuration. And the one that's not an engineer is uh, computer science. So it hardly counts as not engineering. So I grew up in a family that, that there was an expectation that you were going to go into a STEM field. And one of the things that my mom told me a long, long time ago, because I was telling her I wanted to be an interior designer and I wanted to do these other things. And she said, that's fine, honey, but you're going to get an engineering degree first. And then you can go do whatever you want with it. And the truly funny thing about this is that she's completely right because I'm in supply chain, which is not engineering at all. Um, however, my engineering degree definitely got my foot in this door because my first role in supply chain was actually as an engineering buyer, which was I literally had an engineer hand me a, something he drew on the back of the napkin over lunch once and say, I want to buy this thing. And Lindsay is on mute, but she's laughing because she's like, I've been that engineer who's handed my purchasing department something drawn on the back of a napkin. And because I had an engineering background, I could turn that into the thing that he wanted. And so that was something that happened, you know, where I, where I worked previously. And so for me, the engineering degree was, it really was the door that was, was expected to be, but I never would have told you in college that I was going to go into anything supply chain. That was crazy. So, and I chose mechanical engineering kind of, as I said before, because it meant I didn't have to choose which engineering degree to do. <laughs> it meant I could kind of put that off and just do whatever appealed to me. <laughs> yeah. For the, for the folks that don't know, um, the town that Jamis and I grew up in is the home of Iowa State University, which is a big engineering and agriculture school. So for a relatively small town and relatively the middle of nowhere, it is real heavy on advanced degrees and yes. nerds of all sorts. So, um, Well, and outreach programs for starting in elementary school where every yeah. club at Iowa State has to do some outreach something with kids to get them into STEM. So like just ridiculous week-long camps where you code things and like just in our hometown, which was, Janice, I, was I learned later, I very strange. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering how many of those camps you went to. Cause I know I went to, to a lot. I did. I went to a few. Like I didn't actually, I didn't go to as many as you'd think, but yeah, I did, did definitely went to a few. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. Like I went to a week-long one at the vet school and realized I really wanted to be a veterinary pathologist, which is probably not a career path that a lot of like fourth graders or have their hearts set on. I went to one at the vet school that was like a horse camp or something and decided I did not want to be a veterinarian after going to this. I was like, nope, I'm out after, you know, and it was one of those camps where they demonstrated where the you know, person had the glove up to their shoulder and was like that far deep into the horse. Yeah, nope, mm -mm. <laughs> I'm out. Sometimes knowing what you don't want to do is just, just, just as powerful. Important as knowing what you do want to do, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. 
for sure. So Lindsay, what about yourself? What did, what led you into a career in STEM? Well, I did not grow up thinking I wanted to be an engineer. I was good at math and science. I wanted to be an astronaut for an amount of time until I had to get glasses and found out astronauts oh, me can't too. glasses. Me too. So my heart was broken and then I decided I would be a teacher. And then I fell in love with the campus at NDSU and they didn't have a great teaching program. I thought, eh. My dad was like, why don't you try engineering? And they have a really good engineering program. And I was like, sure, we'll give it a shot. So I literally chose my major because I liked the college a lot. <laughs> and what can they do here? Yeah. And so I chose mechanical engineering. Again, kind of similar reasons. You don't have to make a decision right off the bat. You can do a lot with it. Um, I knew I liked math and science. So I knew, you know, going into it, I wasn't going to hate it. But yeah, I, it was not what I thought I'd be. I, if you would have asked me, even in college, if I would be working in the egg side of things, even once I knew I would be engineering, I would have laughed at you because I know nothing about tractors at the time. And, you know, I had probably driven one when I was five sitting on my grandpa's lap, but that was not my, my career path. But it all worked out in the end. I feel like so many people, you know, you're coming out of high school, have no idea what is out there, right? And, you know, a lot of us, I'm sure most people make decisions based on a lot of different criteria that, you know, take you down a path that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise expected. Or, I mean, there's, there's so many jobs out there that, that we don't even know exist, much less, you know, want to pursue necessarily. So what we, what we end up doing later on in life can, can sometimes be from a completely different place. So, I mean, picking a, picking a course based on a campus is uh, just as valid as probably lots of others. I'm going to steal <laughs> one of Arlene's questions here. Janice, going back to you saying about, you know, wanting to be an interior designer and that you were going to get that engineering degree first. What are your thoughts on getting more folks to pursue careers in the trades from either of you? You know, we've already talked about with our kids really pushing them to go to trade school first just to get, you know, A, the core curriculum out of the way if they decide to pursue a four-year degree and just because a trade program gets you a job of some sort that you're pretty well guaranteed that you can always get paid for, whether it's, you know, cutting hair or mechanics or whatever else. And for anyone who's tried to hire anyone in the trades in the last year and a half, good luck. Yeah. We're, and if anybody knows a good handy person in <laughs> Iowa or anyone I can pay to travel, that would be great. So what are your thoughts on how to encourage folks into these hands-on sort of jobs? Yeah. Well, I think I, I encounter frequently people who look at me and say, oh, I could never do a desk job like that, right? Like those are, those are always the people to kind of target for that. But also it's it's true that there are very few jobs out there where you can do a two-year degree and really support a family for your entire life. And and they are in the trades. Welding for my my previous employer always had trouble finding welders. And that was true long before the current economic climate. And even during the Great Recession, like the thing we 
could have hired was welders. And yeah, it's, it's hot work, but it's only hot work if you, especially if you live in Iowa for like two months out of the year. And other than that, it pays extremely well and you can definitely support a family on it, especially if you have a little bit of income from a spouse or from someone else in the household, maybe not a spouse. But, and then current, you know, my current employer is always looking for linemen. And the thing about linemen is you don't even have to go to much for a trade school. We'll train you straight out of, straight out of high school. Like, but those, those, those careers are very hard to find people to go into, but they're extremely rewarding and they don't top out like some other areas do. It seems like there's been such a push towards four-year education for everyone that that was just what you do after high school mm -hmm. and that that was the only way to get ahead. And I think we're seeing now that that was maybe kind of short-sighted, but how to put value into those jobs and to make that a, a desirable career because mm -hmm. they do tend to pay well and they're always hiring and unless we do away with electricity we're always going to need linemen so well the other thing about trade jobs is they don't get outsourced like you cannot outsource your hair, hair cutter to another country you cannot outsource your linemen to another country um yeah. they have to be here your welding you can kind of automate with computers, but really a lot of places still need the welders, even if they're going to automate it. So that's the other thing about trade schools that I think people overlook because they just don't realize how much of a risk it is with other office jobs that that can be outsourced. Yeah, and it it seems like there's such a, a perception as well that having a trade degree means that you're like, not allowed to read books after that, that you cannot mm. possibly. Mm -hmm. You can't be an intellectual and your, in trade. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, right. you know, they, they actually still let you buy books, even if you <laughs> go to trade school. You know, I've, I've heard it's a crazy thing. I know Janice and I have a lot of friends who went to four-year schools and then advanced degrees and are paying a lot of student loans. Yes. Um, to not have a solid job prospect. Well, my brother and sister-in-law both went to trade schools. So, yeah. And what does what did your husband go to school for, Janice? Before I get to our next question. Yeah. So my husband actually started out at the area community college, partly because he just didn't know what he was going to do. So he got a two-year degree first, and then he majored in community and regional planning as his undergrad, and then he got a master's in sustainable agriculture. So he finished this the community regional planning degree, even though he really knew that wasn't what he wanted to do and used his master's degree to do what he really wanted to do, which was farm at that point. But this expectation that people get in, you know, they're 18 years old and you're supposed to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. Like that's a huge part of why I became an engineer because it delayed that decision. Like I said, you can get an engineering degree and you can leverage it into whatever you want to do with your life because people look at your engineering degree and they go, oh, you've got an engineering degree. You figured that out. You can figure this job out, even though it's really not really <laughs> So, but yeah, like I just, I just think it's often a very unreasonable expectation that People have to decide what they want to do for a living at age 18. Like, you don't know what you want to do for a living for the next 40 years of your life when you're 18 years old. I told my like kids the, folks, the other. Yeah. I told my kids the other day I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. They said, "But right. you're an engineer, mom." I said, "Yeah, but I don't know what I want to do forever." Yeah, I don't necessarily want to do that forever. Yeah, <laughs> it feels a lot like the folks who say, "Well, you know." 
the high school is the best years of my life. Mm. Like, what do you, oh, that doesn't sound <laughs> great. Like the next 70 years, it's all downhill. Yay. It's a long downhill. <laughs> yeah. So Lindsay, do you have any big thoughts on trade schools or how to make trade careers more respected? I do. Actually here, since we're in small town, we're in Jackson, Minnesota, which is a tiny town. ACO really pushes, we need welders and, and assemblers and everything. So they are very good about, I guess, reminding the school kids while we do the STEM portion of it. They also remind the high schoolers that trade school is worthwhile and you get a well-paying job out, out of a two-year, one and a half year in some cases welding. And you know, companies will pay for you to go to school for it. So you don't even have to pay for school. So actually last year, I noticed every year because it's a small town, they put all the seniors in the paper and what their plans are after school, after high school. And last year was the first year I noticed there were actually more kids going to a community college or a trade school than there were going to a four-year degree, four-year school for a degree program. And I, I was very happily surprised by that because that's absolutely like you say even if you're just going to get your generals out of the way it's way cheaper but if you're going for a trade now's the time to do it because we need them (laughs) yeah and i think what janice said about it being impossible to outsource those jobs i think it was janice was it Lindsay? Mm -hmm. sorry no you got Um, it about you know whether it's a nursing degree or welding or assembling or any of that sort of stuff you can't outsource that it's not going anywhere you know they can't get rid of you so you can do it almost anywhere yeah that's another pro (laughs) yeah that's the other thing is you're not as tied to location when you work for a big company you're a lot more tied down to to that company's location which and if you want a farm or join your family's farm sometimes you need the flexibility of being able to work anywhere because you're probably going to need an off-farm income. It sucks, but that's the that's the reality of today is you have to have an off-farm um, income, off-farm. And so, you know, that was one of the flexibilities that, you, that we had to think about was where could I be employed such that we could live on the family farm and those trade schools, you know, you can be a lineman anywhere in this country. You can yep. be a welder anywhere in this country. You can be a nurse anywhere in this country. Well, it seems like too, if you're living in a a more rural area, you know, if you're in mm-hmm. some really specialized trade, you know, or you're in yeah. a music teacher, for instance, in a town with one school, right. your job opportunities are pretty limited. Where if you're a decent diesel mechanic in the sort of town that only has one school, there's <laughs> probably a lot of diesel mechanics or, you know, a, a fair number of welding positions available or, you know, there's just a greater percentage of those jobs are going to be trade related. So with between the four adults in your two households, three of you being engineers, who are the primary fixers in your household slash farms? Is there like a, a fight for who gets to fix stuff, especially in the, in the Hodna field household with two engineers? I try to stay out of the way, to be honest, unless it's so for a long time when I was doing test and design, I worked on engine installation. So if it's an engine issue, specifically like air filters, emissions, 
that's when my husband will like tap me in and be like, hey, so this seems like it's maybe not right. And then I get to help, but otherwise I stay out of the way because I, there's too many thoughts. We, we get real crazy ideas once in a while, but I, I try and stay as far away from the machinery as possible, <laughs> unless I'm needed. <laughs> do you have ideas for adaptation of equipment or do you let that go too? Are you Some, writing things on the back of napkins? Sometimes, yeah. There's also things like they were plugging up air filters in their one tractor. They were blowing out like three times a day. I'm like, A, you are not supposed to clean that type of air filter, which my husband did not appreciate me telling him. And B, it should not be plugging that much. So I'm like digging through there, taking things off. Like something's got to be plugged up in here. I was right in the end. Melted and that's why. But, <laughs> but Turns out in the middle of harvest, they don't appreciate me digging, you know, oh. that like that. Always. You're just trying to create efficiencies here. Yeah. I'm like, you know, you're stopping every three hours to blow this out. I could really, there's got to be something wrong. And then once you start, you got to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Whether you're in the middle, middle of the field or not. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a flashlight. Yeah. So usually we get laughed at when we ask this question. I'm going to start with you on this one, Lindsay. How do you try and find a family, farm, career, life balance? And, you know, I know it's not always possible, but what (laughs) do you have any tips for that? I guess is my, my one thing that really helped was actually COVID and getting to work from home. I'm back in the office now, most of the time, but it has been proved that I can work from home. So if I have a a 6am call. I can call in from home, still get the kids ready and, you know, get them out the door, even if it is with their dad, help them get dressed or whatever, see them in the morning. It's a lot less rare that I have to be in the office beyond the hours I'm here. (laughs) Whereas it, it used to be if I had a deadline or something and I was working late, I was working late in the office and might not see my kids. So working from home has really, really helped that, the flexibility there. Otherwise, yeah, I don't, I, I fully admit I don't do a ton with the farm. My husband does most of the farming stuff and keeping that separate really is the only way we can do it. Yeah, ditto. <laughs> Ditto on the the husband does most of the actual farming, and I used to help more than I am now, but my job has become pretty all consuming recently, to be honest. So I would not say that I do a great job of of the work life balance, <laughs> whatever that looks like, which for me has always been favored toward work over life. Even when I was in college, you know, I would be. I would leave my apartment at 7.30 in the morning to get to the 8 a.m. class on the bus, and I wouldn't be home until 8 p.m. because I had class all day and group meetings and then Society of Women Engineers meetings. Like, it was just, like, that was my life then, and I will say that that doesn't really change when you work, like, full-time. Even though you kind of think it will, it doesn't. If you're kind of one of those people, you're one of those people, I think. And so... I don't know. For me, I think it's it's kind of about setting the expectation with my family that they know when I'm going to be home. You know, they know when I'm not going to be home. And it's that communication with my my husband about, you know, hey, are you working on Saturday morning this week? Yes, I'm planning on it. I 
I work most Saturday mornings. My Saturday mornings are oddly enough me time. Like it's very strange, but I go to, I, <laughs> I drive to a Gong Fu Tea, which is a locally owned tea shop here in Des Moines. And I pick up my tea for the morning and I make it to work and I get to, you know, I sleep in a little bit. So I get to work between 8.30 and nine, which is late, you know? <laughs> and then, and then I, I get some quiet time to actually catch up on those things that I can't get to during the week because as Katie mentioned, my calendar during the week is nuts. And with a team, the size of the team I manage, it's just constantly people want things. And so my Saturday morning is like my quiet time. And then on the way home, it's also my chance to stop at like a target by myself. (laughs) So like, it's kind of my me time even though I work during it, which most people think is very strange. They're like, your me time includes work. And I'm like, yeah, actually it kind of does because <laughs> it's also work that I get to set the agenda for entirely. So I decide what I do for those two or three hours on Saturday morning. And then I come home and I'm usually home like between one and two and finish out my weekend. But yeah, that yeah. communication thing you mentioned is, is huge. Cause my work varies a lot. Some weeks I'm, you know, here at eight to five in the office and then I'm free the rest of the time. Whereas this week I had some big meetings I had this morning. So I was working at night and I had midnight meetings and early morning meetings and everything for the past couple of weeks. And it was a lot of, you know, okay, I can't bring the kids in this day. Can you bring them in? Well, mm-hmm. as long as everyone remembers what days are what that usually works. (laughs) We've had a few confusions about what day of the week it is over the last couple of weeks, but yeah, I think that communication thing is huge in our house. And even with the kids, now that my kids are old enough to understand, like mom has a a 6am meeting, so she's not going to be here when you wake up and you have to cooperate for dad and put your shoes on when he asks you to is, has made a huge difference. It's helpful when they're old enough for that. It's really, yeah. really helpful. Yeah. But Arlene went off script and just like added a different question there. That was the one <laughs> I wanted to know. So I... Well, now, no, now it's, Katie's it's a good lost. One. I, I, just forgot, I just forgot it. So, A, how much does it bother you when your kids play wrong with their Legos or other STEM toys now that that's a real, you know, STEM toys are the, kind of the hot thing, I think. So, do you guys get upset if the kids play wrong with them? There's there a, is no great, wrong. I was just going to say that. The great thing about Legos <laughs> is there's no wrong way to play with them. When my daughter was about three, we got we got the Legos out or they were out in the living room or whatever. And there was a little wizard Lego person. And she was playing with the Legos in the form of like, she named this wizard Bwahaha, you know, because that's what, that's the evil laugh. But that was his name. So it was wahaha is going to go like over here now and like she built him a little house but it was more about the story than it was about the building and one of the things about particularly um you know i i will say gender binary girls because obviously there are very non-gender children as well but gender binary girls have a tendency to tell stories with their legos sorry it's lego actually you're not supposed to it's never it's never plural it's according to the company apparently legos is not a word lego bricks is a word but lego is plural for lego anyway fun fact but yeah so when they play with lego like they have a tendency to play with it different but there just there isn't a wrong way to play with lego like that's the great thing about stem toys and i i don't know just yeah there isn't a wrong way to do it 
This question also makes me laugh because I was talking to a design engineer this morning in the Netherlands and we were talking about a design and he goes, oh, I built it in Lego and it moves. He built it with the Technic kind and he goes, I'm going to show it in our meeting tomorrow. I'll turn my camera on and show how we are moving this. <laughs> oh, go, that's oh, it's awesome. nice to have kids. And he goes, oh, no, these are my Legos. <laughs> these are my Legos. Yes. <laughs> he goes, the kids have their own, but this is mine. <laughs> I actually know very know few adult engineers. Are. Yeah, I know very few adult engineers who don't own their own Legos. Yep. <laughs> like, like they may have kids, but they also own their Legos. Yep. This, this probably says a lot about me that Lego bricks hurt my fingers, always have. I feel like I probably have a little bitterness towards them about this. <laughs> I do, however, have my own box of Crayolas that the kids mm -hmm. are not, not allowed to touch. Allowed to touch. Yeah. Did you get the like 128 colors? Or did oh, you, you go for I the did. like, yeah. The one that's oh, like man. the size of your head. And yes. And just the smell of it. Oh, like, if so much. If crayons like broken on the floor, fine. You do that with your own crayons. Do not touch mine. Yep. We so, used to have a dining room in our house and now it's, it's called Lego Zone because... <laughs> You don't use a dining room that often, but if you just leave the Lego out, then it gets played with, right? So our, our dining room table is just Lego and that it never gets cleared off anymore. I did clear it off for Christmas about four years ago and the kids <laughs> still remind me of how terrible that was and how things got, got destroyed <laughs> in the process. So, I mean, we have a kitchen table and that's where all <laughs> all meals get eaten. So Lego's own stays until, until somebody doesn't want it anymore. <laughs> Arlene, I like, too, that you could just start charging admission for Legoland Canada. <laughs> you know, yes. Get dire. Yeah, like, don't, don't tell my kids, but we're part of their Christmas gift is we're going to Legoland in California. Ooh. So they Legoland, are... Legoland, Florida was supposed to be on our uh, March 2020 trip that got, that got canceled because of COVID. So Yeah, they both have winter birthdays. So that's what they wanted instead of birthday parties and... They are super pumped to go see, but they totally love making whatever creation and God forbid you don't guess the right thing they built. It's, we, we rarely follow the yeah. actual kits and I, there's a lot of mom, do you see what this is? Yeah, what is it? Well, guess. Um, Describe it to me. Is it a boat? No. Is it uh, usually we make about three guesses before they go, Oh, it's a snowmobile. That was the one the other day. Snowmobile. Yeah. Obviously. So what do you guys both do for fun? And I'll post pictures of the quilt that Janice sent for the girl child when she was born. <laughs> I tucked it away because she's taken to dragging things around to make houses for the cat. I think maybe we just think in a bigger scale than Lego in our house <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. well and and quilts are made to be loved and used and worn out in my book if i give if i gift a quilt i don't expect anyone to baby it or make sure it's perfect or i really hate if somebody folds it in a chest and never touches it because it's too perfect like no it's a quilt I, like go use it like so yeah i do quilts and uh, i don't know i make i probably finish five or six quilts of varying sizes a year, maybe. And, and I started doing that actually my freshman year of college when I was an engineering student. So I was in Calc 2, Thermo 1, Physics 2, and 
was taking a quilting class <laughs> because I didn't have enough to do. So that's when I picked it up. So yeah, the quilt. Yeah, and as much made... as quilting is an art form, I do I do some quilting too. I've been more making masks the last couple of years now. Yes, but but quilting is very mathematical. I mean, if you don't, it's very mathematical. If you don't cut and assemble just right, then you know a couple a couple lines in, and you're you've messed it up pretty well. So it is a, a good combination of of art and math and precision. Well, then you have a modern quilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Janice, what was the one you made for that? Was it a contest last year or the year before? Was it of Elvis? It was Prince. Yeah. Prince. So Cherrywood is a company that does challenges, the Cherrywood Challenge. Okay. So Princess Diana was last year. Prince was before that. Bob Ross was before, was after Prince. And the current one is graffiti is the theme, but you have to use their fabrics. And I just, I always love the Cherrywood Challenge. So I'm working it's on been that fun one. to see what creative things you come up with. You know, it's. I am not mathematical enough to enjoy the precise quilting, but the, yeah, Arlene, this next one is yours, I guess. We didn't, we didn't learn what Lindsay does for fun. Oh, we did Sorry, Lindsay. Maybe she doesn't do anything. I don't, I don't do much for fun. Before I had kids, I, yeah, before I had kids, I did teach myself to quilt and made like three quilts before I had children. And then I have like a bunch of started quilts and no time to do it. I do golf in the summer, do golf league with, with some friends. And that's always a great time. I enjoy, I would say reading, but I found that since I have children, I have no time or energy to read. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks. if that counts. <laughs> Definitely counts. Otherwise, like. yeah. Otherwise not a ton of, of time for other hobbies, it seems. So this sounds like a Katie question, but she gave it to me. What is the most ridiculous stereotype of women in technology or agriculture that you can think of? I mean, that we're all nerdy, but that might be true. The one that always bothered me was I, when I was in school and people would ask me what my major was, they would look at me and, and say, oh, oh, you must be really smart. That drives me nuts. And the reason it drives me nuts is that intelligence is not a predictor of completing an engineering degree at all. I saw the smartest people, and I was actually an advisor at Iowa State for a little while. I had um, 70 freshmen that were mine for a year, and they I was their official academic advisor as kind of a grad student job. And I saw so many really bright kids fail out of engineering and just couldn't get it done. And I saw some that that were, I mean, they were smart enough, don't get me wrong, they were smart people, but they weren't like, you wouldn't look at them and be like, oh, you're brilliant. And they made it through because what it takes to get through an engineering degree, in my opinion, is discipline. That's really what it takes. It, and, and I think that's true of farming and it's true of a lot of things in life, but it's the discipline, it's not the intelligence. And so when people would be like, you must be really smart, it just, oh, drove me yeah. nuts. And, and that's not necessarily women, that's just in general, but... I have found it said a lot more to women after talking with my male That's colleagues true. about this last year or right before COVID hit, we were talking, I'm like, oh yeah, everyone always, you know, you say you're an engineer and they're like, oh, you must be really smart. And they all looked at me and they're like, what? Uh -huh. It was like, That's not what people say to you all the time. <laughs> and they're like, uh -huh. I don't know, maybe a few times a year. I'm like, oh, okay. So I think it mm -hmm. is not necessarily directed at females 
specifically, but I, I think we do kind of get it a little bit more. Yeah. Cause it also drives me nuts because yeah, same thing. You, you don't have to be brilliant and genius to, to get an engineering degree. You just have to be able to work hard and, and be willing to, you know, you might not do great in everything, but keep working at it and you can do it. All right. So Janice, how did you guys actually get Temple Grandin to come to your house? <laughs> I mean, I know I was there. I just, I don't have any yeah. idea how she ended up there. I mean, I know. How yeah, I that was such a cool thing. And, and for those who are listening, who don't know who Temple Grandin is, Google her. And I don't know if you've mentioned her on this podcast before. I can't remember if you have. I'm going to say maybe not, but she basically designed all of the modern handling facilities for cattle because she's autistic and it's expanded to other things too. But she basically used her diversity, which is, this is a great example of where diversity is such a power to see things the way animals see them and redesign handling facilities to be less stress on the animal. So she's a really cool lady, but she came out to our farm because it was one of those right place, right time things. So I was standing at an event for Practical Farmers of Iowa, which is an organization here, and they commented to us, we were standing there and I had my daughter in a um, sling, like I was carrying her because she was an infant. And they were like, so Temple Grandin is coming to visit us and we don't have anywhere to like feed her dinner. And I was like, I'll feed Temple Grandin dinner. And they were like, you would? And like, literally we were standing around kibitzing at this random event. And I was like, sure, when is she coming? And they're like, it was like in two days. I mean, it was very short time frame. And I was like, okay, I'll make chicken. <laughs> like, can I invite a couple other people to come too? And they were like, yeah, but it's not too many. And I was like, great. I have a sunroom. We'll feed Temple Grandin. And I like get home and I'm like, what did I just do? I just offered to feed Temple Grandin from my farm. Oh my gosh. So, so how much stress yeah. cleaning do you do? When Temple is coming for dinner. So I don't remember, honestly, <laughs> but I am a stress cleaner. I am definitely like a kids make the house look decent. But in this case, it was the sunroom. So she could ex enter and exit through the sunroom. I only had to clean that one room, really. And That's and she was not going to see. Yeah. And the path to the bathroom, like that was all I really needed to clean. So, <laughs> yeah. Also, not because of the autism, but she just doesn't seem like a person who'd be super concerned with whether your house was yes she, she really was not she was no. very casual she was yes. very she was full of grace she really was she offered a lot of grace for you know she was happy that someone else was feeding her that she didn't have to eat at a restaurant that she didn't have to be at a hotel like that was very clearly what she appreciated yeah she was really quite delightful and i really appreciate that you invited me because no, I don't know how you got so lucky, Katie, to be one of the lucky participants in this weird adventure. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe Ryan just texted me or something. I feel like somebody just messaged so. me and was like, hey, Temple Grandin's coming over. You want to come to dinner? And it was like, yes. do I? Ask me twice. <laughs> right. you know. I think the, the thing that stuck out to me the most, I mean, that was, what, 12 years ago, 10 years ago? The thing that still sticks in my mind is that, you know, she's very famous for those ornate western shirts that she wears and, scarf like yeah, a bandana scarf, scarf thing and the mm -hmm. shirt and the whole thing and she took the fancy shirt off i think while we were we went for a pasture mm -hmm. walk 
and while she was eating supper and we went to take a picture and she said, well, I have to put my shirt back on or nobody will know yeah. who I am. And I was just yes. like. She was very insistent that she have her whole look in place before any pictures were taken, which I was like, OK. Valid. Yeah. Yep. It just cracked me up because part of me was like, well, you're Temple Grandin. And then I was like, but would I recognize her without the scarf and the shirt? Probably not, because, you know, that's how you think of her. Anyway, and Lindsay, you know, my husband is a huge, big nerd. Do you have any, I don't want to say insider info, but any Agco trivia that would make him just so happy to know? And I, I have a lot of things I can't share publicly, but <laughs> one thing that even Not I didn't realize, fired, sorry. <laughs> no, one thing I didn't even realize other sites, even at Aco didn't know this until, so I'm sitting in a conference room right now. It's the spray coop room. Aco Jackson has their conference rooms. Most of them are named after our machines. So we have spray coop, Rogator, Challenger, Massey, Fent, an Aco power room, a design engineer room. And then we've added a couple of rooms. So there's like room number seven and boring ones like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but almost all of our conference rooms are named after just at this site. I thought it was maybe everything, but yeah. So, and then the other fun fact I can share probably, I don't think this will get me in trouble, is our field test machines or our test machines for each project. Each project chooses a movie and gives the machines a name. So there's been um, trying to think of, of recent ones, oh, Austin Powers was one of the themes. So we had, you know, an Austin Powers machine, a mini me, various names from that movie we have had, usually they're, they're nerdy movies. Top Flight was one of them. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. One time they did, instead of a movie, they did country music stars. So they had Garth Brooks, Star Wars, they've done. So yeah, so we call our machines by name. So you'll be like, oh, what machine did that break on? And they're like, oh, yeah, it broke on R2-D2. And you're like, okay, yeah. And you'll, we just know where that machine is and who's running it. And, and so that's kind of fun, too. I love it. That's some good trivia, too. I like that. Yeah. And, and that one I don't think can get me in trouble because it's just how we name our machines. So this is our classic wrap-up question. Lindsay, what county fair contest could you dominate? I've been thinking about this super hard because I love listening to the podcast and I love hearing, and I don't know, maybe random trivia, because I know a lot of like random facts that mean nothing to anyone. That's pretty good. Now my uh, six-year-old also has started whipping out random facts that he learns. So it turns out it must be hereditary. The other day he told me all your, your taste blood buds change every 10 days. So there's your fun fact, but I think that's primary. There. That's a good one. I know our uh, local fair board actually runs trivia nights a couple of times a year as a fundraiser for the fair. So oh, nice. if we were closer, I'd have you on my team. <laughs> or if they go to, go to Zoom, I'll, I'll probably <laughs> Janice, what what county fair contest could you dominate? I, I've been thinking about this one a lot too, but but not come up with anything great. I know that I'm supposed to say quilting, but one of the funny things about county and state fairs is that they don't actually rate quilting the way I do it very highly. They tend to like different things. And so like quilting contests is the kind of quilting that I do, like for like total quilt geeks. The state fair and the county fair tend to like like stuff that I don't consider to be hard to do. 
<laughs> like they like a computerized pantograph as the way to quilt it all the way across because it's very even. That's literally done by a computer with not a person and there's no skill involved. So like they tend to rate that highly. So I tend to do very poorly at county and state fairs, um, even though I've gotten into quilt shows before. Need a different judging panel, depending on, right. on, on the Right, we fair. do. We need a different judging panel. So, you know, and and honestly, I'm probably the kind of person who would rather be on the judging panel. Like, like I don't want to dominate the state, the county fair contest. Like, I want to be the food judge. I want to be the, like, quilt judge. Like, just sign me up for that side. So yeah. I'm just going to judge. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be judgmental. I, I know some of the, <laughs> the people who do, like, that home craft judging, and they, they take that job very seriously. Yeah. I, one of my kids, we did some of the junior categories one time and they, they entered like, it was like a no bake squares category or whatever. And so I, they had, you know, mostly done it themselves with some supervising and we, you know, put them on the plate or whatever. And they got disqualified because they'd cut them in rectangles and those were bars and not squares. And I was like, this is unacceptable. These are children. (laughs) (laughs) And I was offended because it was like, are we really starting from that criteria as our, uh, Wow. Our beginning point. I think they were taking the junior category too seriously, but that's my fair rant. <laughs> that is a little, that's a little much. <laughs> Janice, too, I feel like I should defend myself that I took away the girl child's quilt, not because it's a quilt that is super special, but because she hoards blankets. Like if she was a dragon, <laughs> she would just have a nest of blankets. <laughs> and I am just, her big hobby is to make ponds which is just to take every blanket she can find and dump it on the landing of the stairwell. And I've just started taking blankets away. You do better reduce your at some point. I mean, yeah, it's it's not a fort though. It's just a pile and it'll be like, that's a fort. Well, you come climb up the stairs when there's four feet of blankets on the damn landing. (laughs) We'll see how you feel about it. Yes. My son is stuffies. Yes, definitely. Piles of stuffies. This is going to lead us well into our cussing and discussing category. We can go with stuffies if you want. So this is the cussing and discussing segment. As always, if listeners would like to uh, submit some cussing and discussing, we'd be happy to hear them. And we're going to start with Lindsay today. Lindsay, what do you want to cuss and discuss about? I stuffies. I am all over this (laughs) stuffy thing because my daughter last night decided that the bunny stuffy was the only one and I could not find it anywhere in the house. Like, I don't know. And so I spent like 15 minutes searching for it. And then she goes, Oh, I think I brought it in dad's truck. Well, dad was not home at the time. I I'm like, can we find a different stuffy? We finally settled that hedgehog would be a close replacement for bunny. Juju is, is the stuffed bunny's name. Juju. It's one of the few ones that has a name, but we, we settled on a different one, but of, of course, of course, it would be the one you left in the truck in the morning. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Janice, do you want to cuss and discuss? We're continuing the stuffy theme? Or have you got- yeah, you know, my son actually has had a kind of a rotating stuffy his whole life. So although when he was really little, it was actually usually a Lego truck that he had built, but it was a rotating set of them. So there was like, he would build a new Lego truck and then that would be the thing that he went to bed with, which I never understood why kids go to bed with hard plastic things, but they just, they do. And one of the ones he, one of the ones he built once was uh, like an ice, it was an ice themed 
set and so it has a hook on the back of it like a tow truck kind of but it was supposed to pick up this little like ice thing and so he called it his hooker truck and so he (laughs) he's like two or three or something and he's like wandering around being like where's my hooker truck we we have graduated from the hooker truck to um (laughs) to being something like well actually right now it's red pandas we have three different red pandas and their names are tofu and Ratu and I can't, yeah, and I can't remember the third one's name right now. Is I'm a bad mom, but yeah. So we have, yeah, yeah. I can see it, but I can't remember the name of the third red panda. And so they they travel everywhere now. And there's an owl, and yeah. So there's always three, but they they rotate. <laughs> oh, it's Wednesday. Sorry, uh, the tornado siren was going off. Oh. Oh. Sorry, Midwest problems. Small town Midwest <laughs> problems. He's like, what the heck is... Oh, wait, it's Wednesday. Katie, what are you cussing and discussing this week with us? Well, to to keep with the theme, the boy child has so many freaking toy tractors and implements and things. And he'll just lose his shit because he wants his tractor, but not that blue tractor the other blue tractor and no not that one there's like six blue tractors seriously of different sizes and then he needs the gravity box and not you know not the flatbed not not this wagon not the mini rear spreader it's it's a problem and the other thing i had kind of a contentious board meeting last night is people who tell people who are overwhelmed that they need to get their priorities straight or anything along those lines, and then they will magically have more time to do all the things. We should see all of our faces on this Zoom call. Our listeners can imagine what our faces look like. Especially when you're like a volunteer board member, right? Like you're like, or I could just quit this board because that's also an option. That'll show you where my priorities are. No, they were they were lecturing the new director of our nonprofit community run daycare about how if she was working sixty hours a week and salaried that you know, just because she's working that extra twenty hours, you know, covering rooms so that we're within DHS guidelines and keeping children safe, that she should be able to cut twenty hours somewhere else by getting her priorities straight. And it just Oh, really struck a nerve because yeah yeah, yeah. Like, I'll just pull 20 adults. hours out of my sleep schedule uh-huh. exactly sure. exactly and yeah like if you're going to tell somebody how to organize their time you better be volunteering to help them if you're not volunteering to help them you need to shut your mouth <laughs> that is all Arlene what do you have I'll hop down off my soapbox. There you go. Um, well, I'm going to loop back around to Stuffies because, as you know, Katie, we have a puppy. <laughs> he has so very sharp teeth. Oh, he has very, very sharp teeth. So, you know, we're trying to keep him from chewing on, you know, people and furniture and walls. So he has lots of toys. And there are these cute little stuffies that you can buy you know in the dog section and they last for a little while and then all of a sudden there's fluff all over the house and he's ripped another one apart 
and then he wants to chew up all the little fluff balls that come out of it and there's a squeaker missing from one of them and i have no idea where the squeaker went so hopefully it's not inside him because when i squeeze him he doesn't squeak so potentially he chewed that up too but it's adorable but there's just little bits of things everywhere Arlene, does he do that thing where he uses his real sharp little canine tooth to like pick the stitches loose on the side of his stuffy or is he yeah. <laughs> yeah this is your the wonder dog katie no my australian shepherd used to would just pick the stitches loose. oh my goodness it's very methodical we're all of the uh <laughs> the intrepid farm dog had quite an emotional breakdown with us being gone last week and mm finally really killed the alligator he's been working on for almost a year and there's <laughs> so you have fluff, fluff everywhere too yeah and the ducks are molting so our it looks like it snowed <laughs> in our backyard because between the feathers and the fluff there's just sort of an even so if, if you've got a little bit of snow that would just blend everything in and then you'd, yeah. you'd be good to go yeah we'd be fine our farm dog steals leather gloves is his specialty steals them and then chews the fingers off our, our farm dog just does her job, bless her heart. <laughs> she just, she just, got, well, she has recently taken a pension for going across the street and I swear she's finding burrs somewhere. I have no idea where because there aren't any in my yard, but she finds them and brings them home and her uh, buried fence has I don't know. We've got problems with it. So she's There's learned that fact. There's a hole in, in the buried fence and if only you knew an engineer, Janet. Yeah, right? <laughs> Maybe. If only I knew an engineer who could fix this. Maybe I should call Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. no, I don't do wires. You can't see the leak right? if it's a wire. I don't, I don't do wires either. I never did. <laughs> I was like, oh, this electrical thing, I'm out. Even though I work for an energy company. Yeah, don't point that out to me. Don't remind me. I don't do wires. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I get to say thank you so much to both you both of you Lindsay and Janice thank you for joining us today we'll let you get back to your paid jobs but we really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and thank you for taking the time to talk to us and to tell us about your careers and your farms and your stuff so hope you both have a great day thanks it was appreciate fun. it thanks for the invite yeah thanks for coming on guys and thank you to all our listeners for catching up with another episode of Barnyard Language. We would appreciate it if you would like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Leaving a review is a great way to help us reach more listeners. Also sharing us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter as Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other like-minded farming families, you can join our private Facebook group.